Welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast, Your Health Matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives and students. The service is anonymous, confidential and free, and you can call us anytime you need support. 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au On the Your Health Matters podcast today, we will discuss bullying and harassment in the workplace and its impact on nurses, midwives and students. I'm delighted to say that my guest is Karen Gately. Karen is the founder of Corporate Dojo. Karen is a passionate optimist with unwavering belief in the power of the human spirit, an author, speaker, advisor, and educator in the fields of human performance and leadership. She brings a fresh perspective to what it takes to be a successful manager of people. And I couldn't think of a better person to discuss the important topic of workplace bullying and harassment with. Hello and welcome, Karen. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and I'm just, as I said, so delighted that you're able to speak to us today on this important topic. Karen, would you please tell our listeners about you, your background, and why you started started a business called Corporate Dojo? Because I just love the name. Thank you. I really appreciate that, obviously. Um, Look, my my background um, is in HR um, traditionally. You know, for a long time, I was an HR director with a uh, financial services business. And then 15 years ago, decided to get out there and start our own organisation and help businesses to be better, basically, around the people leadership part of the equation. And, you know, after about 13 years of being in business, we decided to rebrand our business so people really understood, you know, who we are and what we stand for and and what our key areas of focus are. I had grown up as a martial artist. I'm a third Dan black belt in karate. And so much of what I teach people is based on those foundations of the martial arts principles. You know, how do we be the best possible version of ourselves? How do we survive if our life is under threat? You know, what I learned is a lot of those principles, what it takes to survive, for example, are exactly the same as what it takes to to thrive in our workplaces. So the corporate dojo is really around bringing those um, same philosophies, same principles into the workplace um, to help organisations to thrive because fundamentally people are thriving. Oh, that's really interesting, Karen. As I said, I love the name and I know many nurses and midwives listening will connect with that. And how can they um, access your business or find information out about more information out about the business? Like sure. what's the website address? So it's um, corporatedojo.com. And, you know, beyond the website, you know, clearly you can go to the website and get all sorts of um, information, copies of articles, interviews that I've done. Um, but more broadly, I spend a lot of time talking to people in the media because I'm really passionate about, you know, sharing what I've learned to help people again to, to live a, a better work life. Um, so, you know, good old Google as well. will give you plenty of insight to what we do and access to, to some of that information I share. That's great, Karen. Why is it important that we create workplaces with positive cultures and environments that enable people to thrive at work? Because you spoke a lot about, you know, that that's what you do, assist people to thrive. And I think that's a wonderful aspiration. But why is that important? Look, I think... um 
there's a, a baseline reason and that is around our quality of lives. You know, I when I started my business originally, I remember I was walking through the, the city of Melbourne and what I was observing was just this wave of lifeless souls kind of just walking towards me, going about their business, heading into their offices. And I, I just thought to myself, there has got to be a, a better solution because people aren't happy, people are stressed, we've got mental health challenges um, happening everywhere, but it's also not working for businesses. You know, businesses, they're not anywhere near the extent to which they could. You know, they're not realising their own potential because the human beings within their business are not thriving. So to me, it's just logical. It's a commercial priority that if you want to enable your organisation to kick serious goals, you've got to do that through the talent and energy of the human beings in the organisation. And therefore, you have to actually engage with the quality of their work life and, and their wellbeing and their ability to be at their best. So for me, you know, um, it's both a commercial priority um, or an organisational priority from a performance perspective, but fundamentally it's about healing the world and making sure that people are well. Yeah, that's a great philosophy, Karen, and I think it's um, really important that we acknowledge that and we acknowledge and remember that the people that work in organisations are an organisation's greatest asset. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, basically, our people are our organisation, you know, our systems, our processes, our intellectual property, anything that we have from a um, you know, a resource perspective only adds value to the extent to which it's effectively applied. And that application is where human beings come in. You know, so it's people who apply policies. It's people who leverage technology. It's, it's people that use all of the equipment that we have in our business to make the outcome happen. So, you know, unless we're operating as a sole provider with fully automated robots doing what we do, then, you know, it's, it is mission critical that we can get people to be at their best. Indeed. And I think despite the best endeavours of workplaces and the policies and procedures and the training that workplaces provide staff, that unfortunately workplace bullying does occur. And yes. I think important that we acknowledge that and we talk about it because nurses and midwives and students listening to this podcast may in fact be experiencing or have experienced a, a an incident of workplace bullying or, or harassment. So if that's you, I'm sorry that that's happened or happening to you and you can call nurse and midwife support anytime for, dis, for support to discuss that often very challenging issue, 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au. So now to this issue of workplace bullying and harassment, the Australian Fair Work Act states that workplace bullying occurs when an individual or group of individuals repeatedly behaves unreasonably towards a worker or a group of workers at work and the behaviour creates a risk to health and safety. Unreasonable behaviour includes victimising, humiliating, intimidating or threatening. Whether a behaviour is unreasonable can depend on whether a reasonable person might see the behaviour as unreasonable in the circumstances. And examples of bullying in the workplace include behaving, behaving aggressively, teasing or practical jokes, 
pressuring someone to behave inappropriately, excluding someone from work-related events or unreasonable work demands. Karen, what do you think some of the workplace factors that put staff at risk of being bullied or harassed are? I think the the first one that immediately comes to mind is fundamentally the culture of the organisation. You know, if you've got a a cultural environment, which is fundamentally how people typically behave, right? So our culture is reflected in our attitudes and our behaviours. And if you have an environment where we deeply and passionately believe in respect and decency, then bullying is far less likely to happen. And if it does happen, it's far more likely to be identified and addressed, you know, directly. So, you know, to answer your question, the the real risk factors are ignorance or a lack of care factor, you know, at the um, most senior levels of an organisation that actually allow the situation where people either aren't clear on what acceptable workplace behaviours look like or aren't fundamentally held account to those behaviours. So, you know, that again um, is the big picture view. And then obviously within um, some organisations where they do have a great culture, they may have individuals or a leader who are bringing the the wrong mindsets or attitudes to the equation. Um, And again, often they're not then addressing that directly. And the final category I'd say is actually what I call unconscious bullying, where people are not clear on what bullying is. They're not necessarily intentionally trying to bully someone, but the reality is they're behaving in ways that are disrespectful, they are unkind, and therefore it does actually fit into the category of bullying, even though that's not what they're they're necessarily aware of. Yeah, I'm really interested, Karen, in this... um concept of the unconscious bully and Mm. I guess that that to me when I hear that term um says that the person actually as you say is not aware that they're bullying Mm. um but their behaviors are meeting the you know fair work definition for bullying so how can we raise awareness in organizations to ensure that people don't tip into unconscious bullying Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of ways in which we can go about that. It it starts with training and just education and having the conversation. So again, as an organisation, if we are regularly having the conversation around, this is what a thriving environment looks like, here's the role we all need to play, this is what bullying looks like, this is what we don't tolerate, you know, that's an important part of the equation. But then I think it's also around the actual action. You know, how do we demonstrate that we are serious when it comes to a, a respectful cultural environment? by proactively addressing issues that are happening. So if we look at the unconscious bully, you know, often I've met with people who have been accused of bullying who are sincerely taken aback, but there's absolute truth in the fact that they have been thoughtless or they have been insensitive or they just haven't given enough consideration or regard to behaving in ways that are healthy and and are going to enable the whole team to thrive. So obviously those people helping them to build awareness of what is that link between their own mindsets, their own emotions, the way they're then part of me behaving and then how that's received and why that is impacting people to the extent that it is. So, you know, it's that blend of let's communicate, let's educate, let's talk about culture, but then let's also coach people and have really honest, respectful conversations about what's working, what's not working and and what aspects of their behaviours need to change. 
Thanks, Karen. And and you've talked a fair bit about the importance of leadership and um, and that leaders can play in ensuring that good workplace cultures uh, are created and then they're consolidated and sustained. What are the elements of leadership that enable a culture to be such that it doesn't actually allow or enable workplace bullying? Yeah, look, I think if we bring it right down to the most fundamental core values, it's around trust and respect and that, you know, we actually recognise the link between people feeling um, respected and, and trusted and therefore their ability to actually get the job done and to perform at their best. So, you know, leaders, um, in my view, need to be striving to create a strong environment of trust and respect. In order for that to happen, they've got to be super clear around what that looks like in real terms around behaviour. And then accountability is key. And accountability is around there actually being a consequence, right? So if I'm behaving well, then I'm getting the thank you, I'm getting the recognition, I'm getting the opportunities to step up, I'm getting the rewards. If I'm not behaving well, then there's a remedial step that's happening. You know, I'm having a a tough love conversation with my boss around the need to change my behaviour. You know, there are real consequences up to and including losing my job if I don't behave in ways that are actually acceptable. So without those consequences, it's incredibly difficult to get people simply to shift their behaviour because they're more aware. You know, most people who are bullying for whatever reason, let's say that they are quite aware of it and they don't really care, um, if that's the case, they're not going to change their conduct unless there's actually compelling reason to do that. So often I see leaders make the mistake of saying, well, this is a highly technically qualified person. They're really important to us. It'd be so hard to replace them. You know, we'll just tolerate, we'll tiptoe around the issue. You know, we'll kind of pay lip service to it. We'll have the occasional conversation with them. But basically nothing ultimately happens. And what that tells them is they're allowed to get away with behaving like that. And worse, it tells everybody around them that it's also okay for them to behave that way. And then we start to create this cultural environment where it kind of depends on who you are. If you're important enough, then you can be a bully. And clearly, that's just completely unacceptable and ineffective. Yeah, absolutely. There's extensive research and awareness, Karen, that bullying is an issue in the nursing and midwifery professions. And I've thought a lot about this and I've thought a lot about the pressure cooker environments that a lot of people find themselves in in workplaces particularly in the healthcare and aged care sectors. And also there's a lot of kind of peripheral issues, I think, that create heightened stress and tension. You know, we've had the, and and are experiencing the impact of COVID-19 that's um, created these heightened pressure cooker environments. We've um, had nurses under the spotlight of the Aged Care Royal Commission and the Royal Commission into Mental Health in Victoria. So they're all very, pressure cooker type environments and factors. Do you think there's specific workplace factors that heighten the likelihood that a nurse or midwife may experience in bullying harassment apart from those things? Hmm. Look, I think those things are very relevant. I would also add that, again, I haven't looked directly at the research that you're referring to, but if I reflect on all of the industries where I work, where there's a, a lot of people that are highly qualified, who are highly technical in what they do, what doesn't always come with that skill set is self-awareness, interpersonal engagement skills, um, you know, and communication skills that actually help in that team environment 
environment. So, you know, there's been a, a lot of research done on the need to, you know, not only be developing people's technical capabilities, but also those broader capabilities that help them to be effective in the workplace. So I can assume that there will be to a certain extent in some of the environments that, you know, nurses and midwives are working, where there will be people that are technically very qualified, very strong, um, but haven't develop some of those broader emotional intelligence or interpersonal engagement capabilities. Now, if that's the case, then if we're in a high-pressure environment, pressure's on, you know, we've got it, it's life and death, you know, for example, in your environment, then um, sometimes those people are not necessarily communicating in ways that are good enough. You know, they're, they're just harsh or they're aggressive or they're um, uncompromising or they're not listening. You know, those irrespective of what kind of environment we're in, those are incredibly important um, approaches that, that, you know, we all need to bring regardless of how technically important we are to the outcome of the organisations trying to create. Yeah, the great points, Cara. And I think communication really is 101 and yet often you know as humans we're not very good communicators no. and <laughs> we often we often don't feel empowered to communicate how we're feeling or indeed to ask the person who might be the perpetrator of the bullying to stop i mean that that's can right. be difficult if it's your manager that's so, right um, how do you, you know, those those communication skills are obviously important, but how do you suggest that somebody who might be being bullied by a person who they see is more powerful than, than them, how do they ask that person to stop? And is it indeed safe for someone to do that? Mm. Yeah, look, I think that's... Um a great question because I think there's the theory and then there's the practice, right? So what I mean by that is it's very easy for me to say to somebody, you know, it's really important you stick up for yourself. It's really important you're clear around the boundaries that you set, that you won't let people step over. You know, all of that helps us to maintain uh, some sense of control over how life and other people in particular impact us and our mental health and well-being. But clearly when there's a power imbalance, it can feel extremely intimidating or very scary or risky to to actually take that step. So I do think it's necessary, but I think if it is something that seems or feels overwhelming that, you know, I I'd recommend you actually get advice. You actually go to whether there's an HR person you can talk to or a more experienced colleague or even another leader who you do trust and respect and get their advice around how do I approach this situation? How do I actually have this conversation? It's typically better, particularly if we're dealing with an unconscious bully, if we are able to maintain our own behaviour and acceptable levels, the way we're talking to them is still respectful, but we are being honest about when you say those things, it makes me feel really uncomfortable or, you know, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't yell at me. It does feel intimidating. I'd rather we just have the conversation. You know, sometimes that unconscious person, when they hear that direct from the person who's feeling impacted, it's enough to make them, you know, burst their bubble, makes them understand, oops, okay, I'm way over the line here. I need to self-correct. But the reality is also is that some other people might be super resistant to that or not care or just take offence and, and, you know, um, attack back. So, you know, we need to think about who is it that, <clears throat> pardon me, I need to have this conversation with 
And do I need to get some advice so I can approach it in a way that is constructive or do I actually need somebody else to be sitting next to me while I have this conversation? So to summarise that, you know, I think if we can go direct and have the conversation one-to-one, that will help most people to not feel too defensive or taken aback and therefore more likely to respond. But if we simply cannot get ourselves to have that conversation because of fear or because of how we anticipate that person will react, then ask somebody else to go with you to have that conversation. And and again, all of that can sound far easier said than than done, but it's a harsh reality that's necessary until you actually speak up. um, You can't actually start the process of being in the driver's seat of your own life and changing that reality and making sure you're not just tolerating bullying because that ultimately can end up in very scary places from a mental health perspective. Yeah, definitely, Karen. They're really important points. I recommend that people document their bullying experience in a confidential journal. I think that really assists them to make sense of their feelings, their emotions and their experience. But also, if the process becomes formal and a complaint is made, that it's useful information for the person to refer back to. But what I also advise, Karen, because I've seen some terrible things happen where a person being bullied has the documentation at work and they leave it on a, you know, in a public space and it's found by a person and used against them. So I say do that at home or keep it in your, your car so that it's not actually at work. So mm. do the documentation outside of work because it can help you make sense of the experience and then refer back to it if you need to. Because I think self-doubt, sorry, Mark, is often part of the problem where people um, question, am I being hypersensitive? Maybe this isn't bullying. Maybe I'm just not doing a good enough job. Maybe they're just having a go at me because I need to be better. And, you know, sometimes that can really delay the point at which we go, no, this isn't okay. So if we're journaling or we're writing down our experiences, we can start to see the clearer patterns. And, you know, so for example, sometimes people think, well, they yelled at me once, they excluded me once, they intimidated me once, they humiliated me once, you know, they haven't done it often enough for it to be a problem. The reality is all of those are individual incidences of bullying that collectively create a pattern that is very problematic. So if we're writing down all of these different moments where we actually do feel um, hard done by, you know, unfairly treated or bullied, we can start to see what those patterns are for ourselves, and it becomes clearer to us what the, what the issue is, that there is an issue and that we do need to then take action around it. Yeah, good point, Karen. There's a sense from some managers I speak to that when poor performance occurs, they feel a bit nervous about taking it on or having the conversation because they fear that they may be accused of bullying. Mm -hmm. So the definition of bullying says that you can actually um, have a conversation with an employee about poor performance or inadequate performance. And you've got written a great book, Karen called the People People Managers Toolkit, and I have a copy of that in front of me. It's a practical guide to getting the best from people. I think it's a great book, and I'd highly recommend that. Um, anybody um, who's interested in getting the best out of people read this. And you've got a chapter on managing performance, which I think is particularly excellent, and some great tips in there. And you talk about 
um, smart objectives. So how would you recommend that a manager starts a conversation with an employee around improving their performance without it being seen as bullying? Mm, absolutely. I think that's a, a key point because I hear that myself all the time as well. And and sometimes people are very quick to say, your performance managing me, therefore you're bullying me. Bullying is not making somebody feel uncomfortable. It's not helping somebody to see their reality, that they're not actually delivering on their role. So, so it's necessary as leaders that we move past that fear and have the conversation. But what's absolutely critical is that we're doing that appropriately so that we are um, speaking in ways that are respectful yet truthful. You know, if we can deliver the truth with respect respect and sensitivity, it's entirely more likely to be received, heard and acted on. So we're entirely more likely to help the person to actually be successful. But we've also approached it in a way that is fair, that's reasonable and therefore not bullying. So, you know, some of the absolute no-nos are getting frustrated with a team member, failing to give them that really constructive feedback and then losing your cool you know, and snapping at them, for example, in front of the rest of the team or choosing to highlight an error that they've made in front of their colleagues. That's when we're across the line because now those in anybody's books, that's a humiliating experience to have your boss call you out in that way um, in front of people. So it's about how we go about it. If we've got smart objectives, which are really clear around, you know, what does the outcome look like? How are we going to measure and assess how you're going? You know, how is it relevant to your job? So everyone's really clear on what they need to deliver. If we're then having regular coaching conversations with them about how we're progressing and what's working, what's not working and helping them to learn and be better, then ultimately by the time we're having a conversation around poor performance and the fact that you're ultimately not reaching the standards that you need to, it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be this out of left field sudden conversation that's delivered in a confronting and harsh and aggressive way. So, you know, if you are clear, if you are coaching um, people on an ongoing basis, then opening that conversation is far easier. You know, I wanted to meet with you today to have a really honest conversation about how things are going. You know, there are these things that I think are good and obviously giving people that insight to what you do trust and respect, for example, that might just be their work effort or their work ethic. They are actually trying. Um, But there are some gaps that we need to work together to bridge so that you're ultimately able to deliver on the role at the standards that we need it done. You know, I'm going to work with you on that. We'll be really clear about, you know, what those changes are. And, um, you know, I'm available to support you with coaching to help you to get there. That's an appropriate way of performance managing someone so that if the day comes where they can't be successful and they need to leave, again, we don't have to personalise this. We don't have to see them as a wrong human. They're just a human that wasn't able to deliver in this job. So we can still compassionately part ways. We can still be kind in helping those people to move on to something that is better for them whilst at the same time making that tough call and not tolerating poor performance. Yeah, that's a great point, Karen. And I often think it's, I love that word, be compassionate. And I think particularly in a caring profession where we care for others, we need to be caring for each other as well and having compassion. Absolutely. And when, 
when I was in management and meeting with people around performance type issues or complaints, I'd enter the interaction with a really curiosity around trying to understand what was going on for the person. And my counselling qualification actually really helped me to do that because I'd often start the conversation with like, you know, I've, this, this um, thing happened and it's come to my attention and we need to talk about it. Um, and it just seems out of character to me that that's how um, um, you would have interacted. So firstly, are you okay? And can you, know, can you tell me from your perspective what happened? That's right. Absolutely right. And, you know, again, I, I find that sometimes as leaders, we're too quick to make assumptions and make judgment calls around what we think is going on. So a classic one is this person's not delivering, therefore they mustn't care or they mustn't be engaged. The reality is they may not have the confidence, they may not have the skill sets, they may not be clear that they're supposed to be doing that. You know, there's a whole lot of things that could be going on. And unless we're having a compassionate, coaching, honest conversation with somebody, we can't get into their inner world and understand what's going through their head, what emotions are they feeling, and how is that impacting the way in which they're behaving every day and, and ultimately delivering on this job. So it's not possible to help a human being to grow and become a better version of themselves and to ultimately thrive without knowing exactly who they are. So if we are a distant leader, we don't talk to our people, we don't spend time with them, we don't know who they are, then it's super hit and miss in terms of helping them to get there. You know, if the more you know people, the more you can understand about their sensitivities, what they're, you know, how they're likely to emotionally respond, how you can be prepared around those emotional reactions and build their confidence and help them to feel like they can get there. You know, so again, I think it's critically important that we actually put on the coach's hat and know our, our team players, you know, and guide them. Yeah. And Karen, I know in the, the work um, that I've read that you've written and also in your podcasts and your fantastic show, Black Belt Leaders, which we'll talk a bit more about in a minute, you talk about the importance of emotional intelligence um, for leaders, but also for every worker. And I'm interested in, in your view on the importance of that and why it's important, but yeah. also why it's an, a protective factor against um, engaging in bullying. Mm, absolutely. So I think, you know, emotional intelligence fundamentally is our, the extent to which we are aware of ourselves, but we also have a consciousness around our impacts and interactions with other people as well. So we're very aware of our own emotional states, you know, and are able to self-regulate our own conduct or emotions. So, you know, when we're, when we're absolutely, you know, in that um, top end of being emotionally intelligent, we can see ourselves, we can observe our thinking, we can make choices around the way we're thinking, feeling and behaving. Um, and, you know, obviously we can see that for other people as well. So an example where this is absolutely fundamentally important is if I've got a, a, a leader who lacks emotional intelligence, they're more likely to allow their frustrations to build and to get to a place where emotionally they might, for example, be personally offended that somebody is skiving off and not working hard. You know, they might see that as being a slight on them and their, their relationship. And so in that process of personalising that scenario, they're more likely to deal with it in ways that are unhelpful. But equally, it's true for, you know, those of us who are individuals, you know, that ability to be open and receptive to feedback is a critical tool that allows us to grow in life. So if our 
starting position is I need to defend myself. I'm hearing something that makes me feel uncomfortable. It undermines my sense of self, my confidence in me, and therefore I need to push that information away and I need to resist it and fight it. Then we're not going to grow. We're not going to learn from experience. So, And that's an incredibly common example of a lack of emotional intelligence where we feel under threat and then we unconsciously just emotionally react with a defensive response. And that might be to deflect and blame somebody else or it might be to deny that that there's anything wrong or it's it's our fault. You know, so again, the more we can be emotionally intelligent and open to feedback, open to receiving it, open to acknowledging that we're not perfect and there's ways in which we can get better, um, the more likely we're we're to successfully come out the other side of a performance management process, a better version of ourselves and, and ultimately successful. Yeah, great points again, Karen. Thank you. Um, I talked a bit about your show, Black Belt Leaders, before, and I love that show. So I'll be able to talk a bit about it in a minute. But in episode 50, um, you talk about rebounding from setbacks and you and your guest psychologist Liz Downing unpack how to rebound from setbacks. And this is very relevant, I think, to nurses and midwives who experience or are experiencing workplace bullying. How do you get back on your feet when you've been knocked for a six? Yeah. And, you know, again, there's so much. We could spend a whole podcast unpacking the different strategies, right? So I'll I'll hit the highlights. And I think the first one is to actually manage your own energy levels. I think when we've gone through a really difficult scenario, we can be super drained of energy. And when we're drained, our mind um, is a less helpful tool, you know, the filters through which we're perceiving reality are distorted. So again, for anyone listening, I would encourage you to reflect on how do you behave when you're energized? How do you think and feel and behave? When you're drained of energy, what's more likely to happen? And the reality is when we're drained of energy, we're less likely to have confidence. We're more likely to feel defensive. We're more likely to, you know, um, avoid risks and try and stay safe and, and all of those types of behaviors that really constrain our potential. So, you know, often with people who've been through those tough times, our first starting point is, are you sleeping well? Are you um, moving? You don't need to be an elite athlete to get energy from um, exercise. You know, you could just be going on a regular walk. Are you nourishing your body with, with food, water? You know, there's fundamentals. And then it's around understanding what thoughts am I entertaining? What thoughts am I giving power to? So often, you know, we'll be ruminating around baggage or or things that shouldn't be, or things that have happened in the past that were unfair, or whatever the case may be, the more we can see those thoughts and put them in the pl- their place um, and spend less time ruminating, the more likely we are to, again, be able to see things that are good, that are um, things we can be grateful for. So that practice of gratitude is another incredibly important way of re-energising our spirit, rebuilding our confidence, helping us to feel, um, you know, that, that we can actually move forward and and get to to a better place. So, you know, it can be a tough journey. There's no doubt about that. But I I strongly encourage people to to start with their body and their mind. You know, you're giving it every chance that it's got to to serve you faithfully. And how do people um, access um, your show, Karen Black Belt Leaders? I think um, there's some great information there that will really support people. 
Thank you. So Black Belt Leader, uh, we produce with Ticker, who are an online streaming news service. Um, and all of those episodes um, can be accessed via our website. So again, if you go to corporatedojo.com, um, you can search by Black Belt Leader and access any of those past episodes. That's great. I think it's really important to give people hope, which I believe we have through this podcast, and that if you're experiencing bullying and harassment, it can really feel all-consuming. So I think those points Karen makes um, are really important to connect with. And if you need support, once again, you can contact Nurse and Midwife Support 24-7 anonymous, confidential and free on 1-800-667-877 or via the website nmsupport.org.au. So apart from all those things we've discussed, Karen, how do we um, give people a sense of hope that they'll get through this experience? Well, I guess the simplest thing I can say is that, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have, you know, it's, it can feel overwhelming at the time, we can feel powerless at the time. Um, But in my experience, when we do find that courage to seek the help we need, we find the courage to have the conversations we need to have, we build awareness of the people around us a lot can change. Um, But the other reality is sometimes we need to acknowledge that the particular organisational team that we're a part of or working with are not committed to creating an environment free of bullying. And therefore, we need to seriously consider whether or not that's the right environment organisation for us. So again, I would encourage people to back yourself. You know, if you're not in the right environment, then take yourself off to somewhere where you do actually belong. You know, that might take a few steps. You know, finding a new job is, is never a straightforward um, process. But again, let's just be really mindful of what we accept, what we tolerate, um, and get into that driver's seat and, you know, ask for what you want and need. Yeah. Great points, Karen. Thank you. I can't believe we've got to the end of this podcast, Karen. We could speak about this all day and I could speak to you all day (laughs) about your wonderful um, insights and wisdom. So today we've discussed um, the impact of bullying and harassment on nurses and midwives. We've discussed Karen Gately's um, business, Corporate Dojo, and the great work Karen and her team do, supporting workplaces to thrive. We've talked about nurse and midwife support and how we support nurses, midwives and students experiencing bullying and harassment. Workplace bullying and harassment have been discussed and I think um, we've, we've provided some tips and strategies for how you can access support and how you can engage in strategies that can help you get through an incident of workplace bullying and harassment. So Karen, any final words of wisdom from you? Well, it might sound a little bit self-promoting, but the other thing I will point out is we have a program online called Be Awesome, and Be Awesome is designed to help people to thrive in life. You know, so if you are feeling like you're in a difficult place and you want to understand more about how you're thinking, what what aspects of your thinking or your emotions, your behaviours are helping you, then, you know, that program, you can actually step through it. It's got a workbook that'll help you to actually explore your current reality and make decisions about, you know, what choices do you need to make? in order to be your best self and to thrive in life. So I'd encourage if that's where you're at to check that out as well. 
That's great, Karen. Um, our audience love resources, so they'll find that really useful. We'll put some of these resources, links to your website and information about your book, The People Manager's Toolkit, up onto the website, Nurse and Midwife Support website, with this podcast. Um, So thanks very much, Karen, once again, for being a great guest. And um, and I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about another topic in the very near future. So I'd like to um, thank our um, nurses and midwives and students and all those people listening to this podcast for the great work that you do and acknowledge the important work that you do, particularly in the current climate that we all find ourselves in. So take care and look after yourself. Your health matters. And once again, if you need support, Nurse and Midwife Support is available 24-7, or via the website nmsupport.org.au. I'll speak to you next time.